if I'm going to pay attention to the moment, I can't be paying attention to the time, if that right. makes sense. Absolutely, like, absolutely. That was Bert Jackson, my guest this week on the Recover Yourself podcast. Hello, I'm Martin John, and in this episode, Burke, who has 25 years of sobriety, expresses in no uncertain terms his overwhelming gratitude for where he's brought himself. I also want you to listen to how he, with 25 years now, is facing having thrown just about everything into that empty hole in his life. Burke is successfully recovering himself today by addressing any and all things that take him away from himself. Again, you're going to want to stick around to the end to learn how you can win a free portrait session with me to help you expose what you can recover to. Wonderful. All right, Burke, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my God, like yeah. I am excited to chat with you. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to be here. So, so just before we started this, you mentioned that you are working in the CBD oil industry. How long have you been doing that? Um, it's probably been a little less than a year. Um, I have a business partner that we've probably worked on six or seven projects over the last 20 years. Mm. And, uh, and he was working in um, cone sales for CBD. And just through a series of circumstances, he was like, why don't you help me find people to do this? And and what I've always been able to do in any career that I've had is help find people. Like, I'm not necessarily, what I've come to terms with is, you know, as I'm closing on middle age is, if you give me something to do, I'm really good at it. So he tasked me with basically finding, finding buyers for products that we already have, finding sellers for products that we needed buyers for. Um, so I, it's essentially a commodities business is what I work in at X. Wow. Um, so, um, so I moved back into like your recovery now. How, how much time yeah. do you have? Um, on the 20th of October, I celebrated 25 years. 25 years. So that's a long time, man. That is yeah. a long time. <laughs> I got sober the... at 23 years old. So yeah, I, I was, I was, I was 26 when I finally kicked, but like, you know, it's always great to me, to meet other folks that like kick pretty young. Cause like, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a whole experience, right? Like, absolutely. It's a whole nother life experience. Right. Especially for, you know, like I'm going to say us, right? Like I'm 44 Like you mentioned earlier, you're pushing 50s. So, you know, like 70s, 80s, like these are familiar to us. 90s are, yeah. are where, where, where we were kind of doing our thing. So, um, uh, uh, and, and how did you, how did you get sober was that i mean my guess is 12 step that was kind of the only game in town back then yeah well so i first went to rehab when i was 17 um in dallas Our stories are real similar so. <laughs> yeah i uh i got put in a rehab com- a rehab organization called straight incorporated mm-hmm. um and i spent 23 months in rehab and 29 months including aftercare and i proceeded to stay sober for three years and 12 days so my first sobriety date was February 15th of 1988. Um, you know, I ended up drinking again sometime in early, you know, like late February, early March of 2001, um, which was interesting, you know, and I spent another three years getting loaded. I proceeded to get arrested in three different states for three different drugs over three different years. So, you know, <laughs> I, I very quickly discerned that I couldn't do this with any sort of beauty or grace. Right. Um, so, you know, the last time I went to jail was October 19th of 1994, and I got out and I decided I wasn't going to drink the next day. You know, I was picked up by a, I was picked up out of jail by a girl I was dating. I went to the grocery store. I bought a six pack in Newcastle. I had two of them and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and really decided 
Well, I'm sitting in the jail cell that night before, and I just decided that I was, if I continued doing what I was going to do, I was going to grow old in an eight by 10 cell. You know, there wasn't any kind of, um, all my delusions of being able to um, use and drink recreationally and effectively were gone. Um, man, you know, yeah, I, uh, my second arrest was actually much more significant. I was arrested, um, in New Mexico for, uh, possession with intent as well as possession of stolen goods. And I ended up spending a couple weeks in jail getting out. And, um, frankly, they were looking, I was, I was really looking down the barrel of doing seven to 15 years of federal time from that arrest. And, uh, so, you know, I was told I could, you know, I ended up on probation. I was told I couldn't come back to the state of New Mexico for the extent of my probation. Um, I moved to Texas and I went to school and I got off with probation. You know, I didn't have to, to do jail time. I, I went back to school and I got a job and I did all these other things. And I managed to present a case to the judge that was like, look, I'm going to be less productive in society if you lock me up than I am now. So, um you know, it took me getting sober again to stay out of prison, very candidly. Yeah. And I share that at meetings now because if you were to see my life now, you would have no frame of reference for the person that I was. You that know, I is was, that is the that is the resounding message of everybody that I talk to, right? Like nobody yeah. can nobody can look at us today and be like, Oh, I can't believe like people often say, I can't believe that you were here. I can't believe that you did that. Like people always look at me and be like, You were a hoodlum? I was just like, yeah, I was a hoodlum, <laughs> you know, like, like oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was a complete, um, you know, during the first and second years of my relapse, my life was definitely a, a much bigger shit show. By the time I got arrested the second time and realized I had to clean up my act, you know, I, I started in school and I had a job. I had all the same things that I had after I got sober, but I realized that if I wasn't willing to change everything about my life, even when I was still using, I was going to end up back in jail. Like they weren't going to look at me a fourth time being in jail and be like, Oh, we're going to let you out again. You know, we know that you've already been to jail three times. We, you know, uh, after that third time, I really realized that that was the, uh, that was the breaking point. It was the, it was the crux by which I had to surrender. Um, you know, and, and I got off on that case, you know, I'm sure I paid a fine, you know, if you were to Whatever. tell me about yeah, that first year, matter. I don't even remember. No, like, no, no. <laughs> you know, 25 In the moment it matters. Time. Afterwards, you're just done, right? Like, you don't need that. Yeah. Anymore. You don't need to think. Yeah. I, uh, I started going back to meetings. I ingratiated myself with Alcox Anonymous in Dallas, Texas. I found a couple really good friends, um, you know, and what I say is I had to learn to grow up in Alcox Anonymous. You know, okay. we hear that a lot in meetings still. Uh, you know, I, I listen to people. I was in a meeting this morning and people were talking about like learning how to be a parent or learning how to go to work, learning how to do all those things. And that was really the case for me. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd, ha- I'd had jobs. You know, I remember I, w- I was waiting tables probably a year, year and a half into my second round of using. And I was waiting tables at this beautiful hotel early in the morning. I wasn't waiting. Excuse me. I was bussing tables. And I remember being called into the office thinking I was going to get a promotion and getting fired. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we used to smoke pot back on the back, you know, on the loading dock and this and that. And my best instincts thought that I was getting a promotion and yet I was getting fired. And that All was right. the story of my life. Like I thought I had my shit together. I thought I had things going for me. And what was really happening is they were continuing to fall apart around me and I just had no frame of reference for it. 
And, that's an um, interesting. That's an interesting story because this is all about thinking clearly. This is this is one of the things that I talk about a lot. It's like when did you when did you realize using today as a baseline? When did you realize that you were you, you are thinking clearly and that you're in a space? I mean, that's obviously like that. That that experience obviously tells you that you're not. How do you know today you are, or or when um, did that start? You know, I, I I read. You know, you sent over the questions, and I really appreciated them. And I started thinking about that. And I think it's been entirely – so, you know, I reference AA a lot, but, you know, in the spiritual experience back in Appendix 2, it talks about um, the spiritual experience of the educational variety. Mm. And, and, again, I don't harp on AA as the only way to do it. It's worked for me. But what I've had is a spiritual way or a realization that was essentially of the educational variety. Like what would happen for me is that I would live my life and, and I would seek – somebody's experience, you know, be like, well, you know, like when I had my, my, my daughter was born when I had seven years of sobriety and I had no frame of reference on what it was to be a father. Like my dad left when he was, when I was two, my mom was a manic depressive bipolar alcoholic. So I had no frame of reference on what it meant to be a parent. And what I did is I sought the experience of others. I sought the advice and I sought the guidance of other people who've been through that. And what happened is I realized that when things when I did something different, that's when I began to think clearly. But if you, I can't, t- you know, if I had five years, you know, probably five years, I would tell you, yeah, I got my act together. Like I'm dialed in, like things are great. And I look back at 10 years, and I was like, I was a fucking basket case at five years. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I did the same at, same thing at 10 years. Like I looked back at the first 10 and was like, I did the best I could with what I had. Oprah makes this great quote and it's like, you know, we do the best with what we have. And when we know better, we do better. Right. And my experience in doing better had to come from the idea that I had to seek outside counsel, whether it was through a therapist, whether it was through a, a marriage counselor, you know, I'm divorced from my ex-wife now and we've been through counseling and I've had to have people walk me through that. Um, so it, it's really been this learning experience of when I can do something different, things change. And as a result of things changing, my life gets different. You know, like yeah. I wouldn't say that I, you know, my, I refer to them as a spiritual experience. We can call them a life experience. We can call them whatever. whatever. The hell we yeah, want. We, it really doesn't matter. Something happened. <laughs> yeah, something changed. I tried something different and I began to think differently about it. You know, and, and what my recovery has been about is this idea that, you know, something ha- like, they used to tell me early on, you know, when you came into AA, things got better and then they got worse and then they got different. And that's right. been really my, 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 my path in recovery that, you know, I do some work, things get better and then they get worse again. Yep. You know, something happens, something changes, something changes in my life or something changes internally within me. And then I have to get different. Mm-hmm. And once I get different, things get better again. That's um, right. And that's yeah, and that's I, the you know and and that's the beautiful thing about growth, right? Like growth, a lot of people are like they're looking for that absolutely. that like that 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 threshold where it's like, oh, things are better now. It's like, bitch, no, shit, don't work like that. Like what has to happen is like the sun has to come up, and that takes a long time. You know, it starts to get a little light, and and you know, or it starts to get a little dark. You know, things start to change. Yeah, yeah. They start as just a thought. Speaking of, like what are some thoughts you have today about things that you have in your life today that maybe you know are going to change in the future? Um, 
I can't think of anything that isn't going to change in the future. To be honest with <laughs> that's you. great. I love you that know? answer because uh, that's how I would answer that shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I have, like I, I referenced earlier. You know, I have kids in high school. I have a kid in college. I work. In Congratulations on that. I, I know she just Thanks. went. She's her, her freshman year in college. You got yeah. her off. Like, look, and, and yeah. what a beautiful woman you're making. I'm so happy yeah. for you. Well, you know, the funny part about it is watching, and, and this is probably very indicative of my sobriety, because I've been successful raising her, she's gone. Like, yes. she didn't stick around. Like, yes. she was fully capable of um, going out and having this huge life at college. Like, she's on the swim team. She lifeguards. She's part of this very exclusive business leadership program. She's planning her her semester abroad already. You know, she's, what, two months into freshman year, and she's already looking at her plan to go abroad to go to France to study international business. And I'm just like, how coming – this is this is obviously a really emotional yes, thing for me. I'm, I'm emotional as well. How, do, how have I, as an alcoholic addict, suffer of child trauma and all the things that I went through, raise a child that is inherently successful? You know, like she has no doubt in her life that she's going to be okay. And that was not my story. You know, like oh. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I got into recovery as a scared, broken child with no frame of reference on how my life was going to work. And I look at her and she's like, she had multiple colleges to choose from. I barely graduated high school. You know, I graduated high school when I was <laughs> where, where the thing? again, again, and, uh, yeah. You know, and, and I look at her and I look at my other kids and yeah, they have struggles, but they have this life that is full of this belief that life is good. Yes. And I had to learn that in recovery. So when you ask me what's going to change, I can't think of anything that I can be attached to anymore in my life that, and this isn't a good way. This isn't in a yeah. negative sense, but no, I get it. I look at everything and I'm like, it doesn't serve me to be attached to any of it anymore. Like, you know, I, I step back and I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I think about every day. I'm like, how am I going to make money in this business? And, you know, and I wake up thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do next? And mm -hmm. I have the full belief that something is going to change again. I'm not even attached to my time anymore because what I've figured out in my recovery is that I'm attached to the quality of life that I've been given. And not that my life is all, you know, rainbows and unicorns by any stretch of the imagination. But if I didn't have a life worth living, I wouldn't stay in recovery. Damn. And I say that because what it drives me to do is to continue to push the envelope, so to speak, of my own recovery and the recovery that I've tried to build with the people in my life so that I have a life worth living. You know, I, I went to a meeting yesterday morning and I was I was having an incredibly challenging time. Said I've been suffering from a tremendous amount of anxiety. Like I have just this, like I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm just anxious and I wake up and it's just this ongoing thing for me. But what I've, you know, so I shared about it yesterday morning and I also shared about the shame that comes with it. Mm -hmm. of not wanting to tell people that I'm feeling a ton of anxiety and, you know, and I shared probably the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the meeting and people after me proceeded to be really honest and vulnerable. You know, I even had this woman with like 29 years of recovery come and sit next to me in the meeting yesterday and remind me to breathe, you know, and she told me that I didn't have to sit there and be alone, you know, and that's been the gift. Um, God, you know, I, it's funny, the longer I stay sober, the more emotional I am. Um, yeah. 
but it's part of the inherent gift that I've been given. Like, I didn't have to go through yesterday alone. Like, you know, I immediately, I said during my share that I'm like, I'm here because, and I want to go out to breakfast with people afterwards. And I went out to breakfast with 16 other alcoholics, you know, and I got to be present. And then, you know, I went yesterday and I was part of a board meeting for this new nonprofit that I'm involved in. And then I went to yoga with a buddy of mine that used to ride in a biker gang. You know, it's got, it's got like 12 right. or 14 years now, you know, and he's covered in prison tattoos and still rides a Harley. And he's super like, if you were to meet him on the street, you'd be like, you cross the street to see this dude. We sat in a good yoga class last night together. And I was just like, where the fuck is my life gone? You know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I know this is a very roundabout explanation, but I really don't know of anything that I, that I have to resist changing in my life today. And, and that's that probably is, that yeah. is as as I see it, right? That is the core of this idea of recovering yourself, right? It's not Absolutely. it's it's not so much about this idea of recovering from something. You you're beyond that, and, and now you're into a place where it's just like, who am I? I am not a label, right? I am not my job. I am not a father, although I am. I am not only a father. No. I am not only a husband or an ex-husband or a boyfriend or I'm not only a man, right? I can be, I can have feminineness and I can have oh, yeah. me completely and I can embrace all that because I love myself. And all of this emotion that you're having is really overwhelming like gratitude as, as yeah. I see it. Absolutely. Um, because I, I know that things, you know, it, it, with the current emotional state that I've been going through, I know that it's going to change. And even right. if it doesn't change, I know that I can I can recover through it. Like I don't want to believe that this is my new baseline, like this anxiety that I carry right now. Right. Like I said, I don't believe that it's going to be there forever, but I'm willing to walk through it today, and that's what's different. Like I don't have to medicate. Like I don't have to throw things. You know, one of your questions is, you know, what have you found that you've been addicted to in recovery? And that's been probably one of the biggest pieces that I've had to confront because there isn't anything that I haven't thrown into that hole in my chest. Right. You know, I mean, people refer to it as our ism. People refer to it as our addictive nature. You know, fuck I'm, it. We I'm, have to look at that shit. We can't if we if we dismiss oh, yeah. it, we're not gonna we're not going to continue our path. We're just gonna like yeah. attach ourselves to another label. Absolutely, and you know, I personally refer to it as my god-sized hole. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it took me finding something greater than myself, whether it was Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it was a sponsor, whether it was outside help, any of those other things that, you know, I've thrown cars, I've thrown relationships, I've thrown sex, I've thrown money, I've thrown anything and everything that I could find to take me out of myself into that hole. And what happened is they all stopped working. You know, when yeah. I had my anniversary uh, just over a week ago, you know, I, I used to travel a lot and I made a fair amount of money and I did all these cool things. Like, you know, there was a time in my life that I had three, two, three cars, two motorcycles and a boat and lived in a 3,600 square foot house. Like I okay. had all the shit. But what happened is all those things gradually dis dissipated. And what I've had to do now is over the last 12 months has really been internal work. Like I can't travel the way that I want to travel you know, I can't go run away to a beach for a week and be like, oh, I'm going to sit on this beach and absorb the sun or I'm going to I get uncomfortable and I'm going to go buy something like all that stuff stopped working. Yeah. It's really, you know, and and what what the universe did, whatever you want to call it, 
what happened is all those opportunities were stripped away. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? We're going to make sure that you make a little less money this year so that you can't go and buy shit to make yourself feel better. You can't go and spend money in order to, you know, to feel better. And, and as a direct result of that, I've had to, I've had to really focus on the internal work, um, being really and that's quiet. That's the only um, work there is. It's the only work is. there is. And, and I would say, you know, had you asked me at 15 years what that looked like, I would have told you something completely different. Absolutely. Had you asked me at 20 years, you know, I, um, one of the things that I share in my recovery is that the day I, you know, um, five days after my 20th anniversary, I ended up in a psych unit. I ended up having mm -hmm. a lot of, um, a lot of challenges. You know, yeah. there was, there was some, there was some not severe mental health stuff, but there was mental, mental health stuff that happened. And, um, and looking back, like I had no frame of reference for it. Like I couldn't have even done step work around it or, or therapy work around it with 19 years of recovery because I just simply wasn't able. Right. So what has happened is that things have come up. I've learned how to, I, I've been given the willingness to do that work and things have changed. So, you know, um, and what it's taught me is that I can't be attached to any of it. Like, you know, if I were to be attached to this girl needs to be in my life in order for me to be happy and, and successful and fulfilled, I guarantee you she would have been stripped out of my life this year. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It like, it's just the way it goes. You can't like nothing needs like like you can't need anything because the moment you need something, it is going to take, get taken away too sweet. And especially right when you need it, right when you need it the most, it's just like, no, oh, yeah. you were born with everything you need. Now deal with this. Right. And it's yeah, great absolutely. to be reminded of that. Oh, it, um, it, I'm reminded constantly lately, you know, as I said, it's really had to be this, um, God, I can't think of a better term other than inside job. You yeah. know, I had times, it was probably three or four months ago it started, and I was waking up every morning just full of something. Like something was eating my lunch when I was waking up every morning. And, and so I looked at like, okay, what can I do different about it? And so today I keep a pad on my coffee table. So every morning when I have coffee, I look at this pad. And what it's, it's you know, to use AA nomenclature, it's, a, it's an ongoing 10-step inventory that I just put down what's happening that day. And what it does is I've been taught that it gives me a sense of reprieve to go on about my day without that same chaos living with me. You know, it's like right. what I shared yesterday in a meeting, you know, the more vulnerable I get, the more connected I feel to the world. And I was never taught that. What I was taught was that when we're vulnerable, we're taken advantage of, we look weak, we're not enough. Right. You know? And maybe I was told I wasn't enough because I was vulnerable. I don't know what that story was to begin with, but what I do know today is the more honest and vulnerable I am, the more connected I get to the world. Right. You know, my daughter stood up. Um, fuck. Um, my daughter stood up this year and she's given me my coin for the last few years. My 18 yeah. year old. And, uh, she stood up on Sunday of last week and said to the group, that she wanted them all to know that there's someone out there that's grateful for the work that they're doing to make their lives better. And uh, fuck, I just started, you know, it's, it's so true that, that we never know who we might touch. Mm -hmm. Someone in that room might not want to go and do the, something that they need to do that day, but my daughter looked at them and told them that someone out there was grateful for the lives they were leaving. 
And fuck, I mean, that was just like, you know, it hit me that she says that because she's never had to deal with a drunk father. Right. She's never had to deal, you know, I cry in front of my kids. Like, That's beautiful. I've made more amends to my 16-year-old son in his life than I've ever had to make with anybody in the world because mm-hmm. he's my son. And I hold, you know, I realized that I had issues being a boy and I've had those same issues being a father. So I've learned to be able to go to him and make amends to him yeah. and be like, look, I was wrong and here's what I'm going to do different. Um you know, I've been, I've been, I've been having to watch my nephew. My nephew looks a lot like I did when I was a kid, and um, and 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 I know that every time I see and judge you, I know I'm judging myself in some way, right? Oh, like wow. about that thing, right? Like, and so the stories that I would tell about my nephew were all about me. And then somebody oh, yeah. the other day was like, "Have you ever looked at little Marty?" Like, have you ever, have you ever told him that you care? Have you ever told him? Because I've been getting really frustrated with my nephew and, 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 and again, not being a father, I'm not used to this. And then I'm seeing all of these, these like things in me, in him, and it's making me like livid. And, um, (laughs) and my friend was like, you know, you got to look at like your, your, your little guy. And I was just like, no, he's fine. And then I was like, uh-oh, I am that resistant towards – and I was just like, huh. I was like, I don't want to coddle. I was just like, ugh. I was like, I was like every step of the way, every question, like just this little thought in my head would come in and just say like, he doesn't need that. He doesn't uh. deserve that. He doesn't like, – <laughs> like a friend of mine was like, why don't you just go get him some ice cream? I was like, what does he need ice cream for? Uh, stop it. Right? Like I'm like, why, why am I so like – so, yeah, so I've been telling myself that my little guy, my little Marty, me, mm-hmm. um, does not deserve. So I got <clears> – <throat> this, is, this is probably going to get cut out. But either way, I got my <laughs> toys – I got my toys taken from me when I was like seven or eight years old because I didn't do good in school. Turns out yeah. that I'm dyslexic. I'm not going to do good in school, especially yeah. in the 80s. Um, and, uh, and, and I tried, I was trying to do good in school and I didn't. So I got all my toys taken away. And so what I did was shut down. My whole yeah. body just went, no, they can take their toys. I don't need them. And yeah. that is the attitude that I, that I gave my nephew when my nephew's like, I just want to feel comfortable. And I was like, yeah. you don't get to feel comfortable. You're a kid, <laughs> right? Like, and that's my attitude oh, yeah. towards this. And it's like, wait, this is also the core of why I don't ask for what I want because Absolutely. I don't believe I deserve. I don't, I, I, you know, like, and this is the work that I'm doing today. Like I'm grateful to, you know, to be doing this at 19 years. Right. Like, because yeah. like I am growing, like, there's not too many people that I've come across that we can have this deep conversation and this openness, <laughs> you know, even people within the rooms, like even with people yeah. with time, you know, I talked to somebody not long ago with 20 some odd years and, and they're still running in fear. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that, you know, like that I want to make sure the message that you don't have to continue running in fear, yeah, you know, for sure. you, you have to face well, I- it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that feeling that fear 
and still taking the next right action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, I use that term, you know, I use that phrase very loosely because I don't want to instill in people that I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is the only way to change your life. I don't. I think that there's a, as many ways out there as are people. Um, and it should be said, I haven't been to, I haven't been to a meeting steady in close to 15 years. Yeah. And I go to the same meeting four to six times a week. So um, I go to a morning meeting, but my, my need for recovery is consistency. Like I have to have the say, you know, I can't go to one meeting a week and see different people all the time and find any sense of connection. That's been my recovery. But, um, but no, I think that honestly feeling that fear being like, look, I'm really afraid that this is going to happen, but it doesn't change my actions. I still take the action that I've been taught to take no matter how I feel about it. And, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Bill refers in the big book to the fact that faith without works is dead. And whether we want to call it faith, whether we want to call it belief in the universe, whether we want to call it karma, I don't really care. But what I had to, what I had to do was that I had to be willing to do the work for things to change. Like I was having a conversation a couple of days ago. Someone in the meeting, someone was saying that our perception has to change, and then our 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 actions changes, and then our emotions change. And you know, within there, you know, the action part has been really key for me changing my actions in order to change the outcome of my life, no matter how I felt about it. Like, I, you know, I woke up this morning and, you know, my daughter came crashing in at eight o'clock this morning being like, can you take me to work? And, and I have a routine between eight o'clock and nine o'clock because I always leave at nine o'clock to go to my meeting. So I have this kind of routine. Like I get on a call with my business partner. I, you know, I feed the foster bunnies that I have. I have two foster bunnies in addition to my daughter's bunny. And I, you can see this is my whole apartment. I live in 575 square feet in the studio. And I have foster rabbits. So I yeah. get up and I feed them. And I feed my daughter's bunny that now lives with me. And, but we were able to, you know, I was able to change my, my routine to go and be of service to her. And, and while that sounds like what any parent would do, there's people out there who'd be like, well, tough shit. You slept in. Figure it out. But that that, that would got, be my response at this point. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's completely normal. But uh, you know what I've been taught is I have to change my actions in order to change my life. Yeah, like I couldn't sit around and be like, you know, I can't sit on the sofa here all day and watch Netflix and expect somebody to come to me with a business deal. Right, like no one's going to come knocking on my door offering to pay me money for something. Like, you know, there's a reason I do the things that I do on a daily basis. Um, you know, there's a reason for my own recovery. I go to a meeting five or six times a week. I go to the gym three days a week. Yeah. You know, I make food for my kids on a regular basis. You know, my daughter stuck her head in last night, and I had leftover mac and cheese. I went to the store after yoga. I'm like, you know, and I really wanted to eat it. Like, it was what I was planning on eating. Yeah. And she sticks her head in. I'm like, oh, do you want some mac and cheese? She's like, sure, and walks out with my food. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's being of service. That is being of service. <laughs> And it may sound, you know, that in and of itself as an isolated incident may not sound like a big deal. But when we live our lives in a way that we ask how we can be of service, things change. Yes. You know, like there's guys in recovery, you know, that I may not want to spend my time talking to, but I do it because someone did it for me. And that's how I changed to become something different. You know, I was taught early on. I, I, I had the sponsor when I lived in Southern California and, um, 
And all we ever talked about, well, not all we ever talked about, but a lot of what we talked about was the idea of doing something different every day. If right. I'm willing to do something different every day, within the course of a year, I'm an entirely new human being. And it yeah. may be something small, and it may not be every day. But, you know, I had another sponsor. I remember I was sitting across the breakfast table one Sunday morning from him, and I'm sure I was complaining about being a dad. And he looks at me and he's like, you know what? I don't give a fuck about how you feel. What I care about is what you do. And I was like, you're a dick. Like, yeah, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear that you understand my feelings and that you understand how rough it is to be a new dad. And he didn't care. No. Nope. What he cared about is how I was being a father. He cared about how I was treating my kid's mom. He cared about the fact that, you know, I go home and I do the dishes when I don't want to, or even when they're not mine. You know, right. I've been taught to, to stretch my boundaries and to do the things that I don't want to do in order to become the man I want to be. I talk a lot about this idea of discomfort and uh, being uncomfortable when we are, um, well, being that, that learning is uncomfortable. Learning Absolutely. is just an uncomfortable situation. You know, I was like, one of the things I was doing with my nephew is like trying to teach him some shit and like, <laughs> and he doesn't want to learn, right? And because it's uncomfortable, it's easier to be right. And it's easier to not have to try and get your motor function up to yeah. snuff because you're just not good at it. No, oh, yeah. you're not good at it, but do it anyway. Yeah. Well, isn't that the whole, um, you know, I mean, that could be the whole 10,000 hour rule. Like right. it takes us 10,000 hours to become good at something. And, good, good at anything. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, I don't know if I've done 10,000 meetings, but you know, like I've done a lot of meetings and yeah. I would say that, you know, or I've done a lot of recovery conversations or I've spent, you know, 10,000 hours with people in recovery. I could probably yeah. say that over the course of the last 25 years, Yeah. Um, you know, living with people in recovery and this, that, and the other, but you know, yeah, exactly what you're saying. We have to stretch and be, you know, I have to be uncomfortable to get comfortable, I guess. That's right. That's right. It's not about uncomfortable, not, not about being uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. It's no. about being uncomfortable to see who you are and what you can do and who you well, can be. Yeah. And that's the, that's, that's exactly it. It's, you know, stretching to be who we can be. You know, like I didn't want to go to yoga last night. I don't really want to go to the gym today. I'd much rather sit on my sofa and, you know, piss off three hours of my life. But, it, you know, it's those things that I need to do in order to be, you know, God, I almost feel like the things I have to do today just to get me back to zero, you know, or let me rephrase <laughs> that. My ba yeah, you referred to in your talking about now as a baseline, like yeah. my baseline is moved. My yeah. threshold for yeah. pain is better. dramatically less. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, like I, I, you know, I don't have to burn my life to the ground today. I don't have to piss off my ex-wife and and alienate my kids in order for my life to be shit anymore. I just have to feel like I'm a little not connected, and I want to change. Like, yeah, you know, they they say often, you know, that the older we get and the more we're in recovery, the road narrows. You know, yeah. and I guess today I'm just, you know, A, the road's gotten narrower, but B, I'm a hell of a lot more sensitive of dragging my face along the guardrail, right. screaming in agony. Like, I'm like, yeah, no, you know, that really doesn't work for me anymore. And so I try something different. And, and realizing that great. we're realizing that we're doing that, right? Realizing <laughs> yeah. that we're the ones electing to make it harder by not being flexible. 
right? Absolutely. Like by not doing those new things every day, we're maintaining a rigidity in our lives that make it difficult to shift when things need to shift. Well, I've never known anybody that had a life that things didn't need to shift from. I mean, Johnny Cash's son said it the best. No, it's Frank Sinatra's son. He said, we can only coast downhill. Yeah. You know? And I heard that probably probably in my first 15 years of recovery. And, it, and it's really sat with me. Like, if I'm not stretching, if I'm not stretching physically, if I'm not stretching emotionally or, you know, intellectually, I'm going backwards. Like, you know, because time keeps marching on. And if I'm not willing to keep up with that, like I will deteriorate. Like my health will deteriorate. My emotional state will deteriorate. Even my mental state will deteriorate. Yeah. Um, you know, I you used to joke entropy, that I just want right? to, yeah. Well, I, I used to joke that I just want to live on an island by myself. And, uh, you know, I always told my kids, I was like, all I need is an island. Like you guys need to make enough money to buy me an island so I can grow <laughs> old on. And I, and the more I've stayed, the longer I've, I've been around, the more I realize that that's exactly what I don't need. The last thing I don't need is to be alone by myself for the rest of my life. Like right. that sounds horrible to me now because I would have no frame of reference on what it meant to grow or to become something more. Right. Um, and I think challenging that has shifted that baseline profoundly. Man. I, I, uh, this was wonderful. I don't, I don't even know what to follow that up with. I'm looking at my things and like, we're covering all the stuff that we talked about. Like, is there anything that you'd like to add to this? Um, you know, the quote that comes to mind is the journey is the destination. You know, I think that, you know, the moment I pass on, that's when the journey will be done, you know? And I think that up until that point, like, being willing to, you know, again, the book talks about trudging the road of happy destiny Mm. and, you know, and Bill wrote that and he doesn't, it doesn't say trudging the road to happy destiny. It says that nowhere in there. It's of, Of. you know, and if you, if you look up the definition of trudge, all it is is moving with intention. Yeah. You know, I'm moving with intention towards the road on the road of happy destiny. Yeah. What else is there? Like if I'm, you know, uh, we read it often in meetings and it talks about, you know, the whole point of Alcoholics Anonymous is to grow on spiritual lines. Mm. And I think when we transpose that to the rest of our lives, if I'm willing to continue to grow along some path that is beyond me, you know, I mean, when you boil down every religion in history, they're all the same. There was some great dude that was doing for other people. That's all the Buddha ever did is he like sought enlightenment so that he could carry the message to others. Jesus fed, you know, a whole crowd of people with a fish and a jug of wine, you know, same with Krishna, same with Judaism. You know, they all just meant that we were trying to become something better. That's all that this life is really ever about, you know, and, and yeah, money makes that money makes that more fun. Sex makes that more fun. Relationships (laughs) makes that more fun. Cars can make that more fun. But when all that is stripped away, because we look be. at ourselves in the mirror, yeah, right. can it we? Will be. You know, yeah, when we try to recover to that pure self, when all of that is stripped away, can we? Can we say that we're living a life worth living? Right. You know, can I look at my day today and be like, today was worth living? Did I do something today that made myself, or the people around me, or the world around me, a better place? 
And if I can say that, I've won. I have won the life fucking lottery with that. That's right. (laughs) There is, there is like, like, and, and it's, and it, and it starts and ends with you every time starts and ends with you. And, and that, and when you can, and when we can envelop that and when we can live that, that's when we're truly recovering towards something, when we're truly recovering, you know, like we're not, like our past is there and it's great and it's brought us here, but we're moving towards something. We're trudging. Yeah, my past <laughs> is, my, you know, unless I were to talk to you about yesterday, everything right. else behind that is largely irrelevant. That's right. Because it, it, you know, today is what I have. Today is what I woke up with. Today is, is the... It's the opportunity that I have to go and try something new, try something different. I mean, no matter how small it may be, um, you know, am I making the world a better place to live in or am I not? You know, it's, it's pretty much as simple as that for me. And with that, <laughs> we'll keep coming back. <laughs> um, thank you so much, man. Thank you yeah, for your Mark, time and your wisdom and everything, and like, and also just being so vulnerable with me. So I, I really appreciate oh. that. Yeah, it's a it's a hard lesson for me right now with vulnerability. I'm, I'm realizing that I still have a lot of old stories around me. Yeah, you know, I shared a lot of that yesterday. That um, I have all these old stories of armoring up. You know, like I armored up in early recovery. Like you know. I'm, most of my body's, you know, a big chunk of my body's tattooed and I, you know, I work out with a powerlifting team and I do all these things in order to create what it used to do is created this barrier between me and other people. Yeah. And, and as the longer I've stayed sober, um, the more that barrier has had to be taken down in order for me to continue to stay sober. And, uh, and so I have to learn that, you know, that vulnerability is just as much a part of my story today as my alcoholism is. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, somewhere along the lines in, that, in my early stages of my life, it was stripped away. I was told not to be that, or I was taught that that wasn't okay. And, and now I have to remind myself, you know, I have to, you know, recover and discover what it means to, to be a man in this world. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank I you. appreciate it. Yeah, man. of course. I love vulnerability and embracing it completely. Burke is right. We can so easily build up those walls to keep others away, but dismantling those takes a lot of time. I applaud his work and his openness to share with us about his continued journey of recovering. If you're interested in moving your life forward to feel more gratitude and magic every day, you can win an opportunity to work with me just by rating and reviewing this podcast on your favorite podcast app and sending me the screenshot of the review. More details on that and all the links to find and learn more about Burke can be found in the description of this podcast. Thank you again for listening to the Recover Yourself podcast. Please consider being a supporter or leaving a voice message for me or my guests on Anchor. I wish you all the best, and until next time, keep recovering yourself. <laughs>